and welcome back to the Go For Two podcast. I'm Liam, your host, and we are here for another post-draft episode. Uh, Patrick isn't here with us today, but we're joined by Lee Wakefield from the Full 10 Yards College podcast, same as last week. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, good, good to be back. Yeah, thanks for having me back again after another busy weekend watching the draft. Yeah, I was going to say, first question is just how was your overall draft <laughs> experience? Because some people, I guess, they like the draft because they want their teams to improve. But I think people like me and you also just enjoy the draft process. So how was your whole weekend? That's it, yeah, no, exactly, it's that other process kind of coming to an end, isn't it? I know that we spoke last time about kind of my process and how it's like a year-round kind of thing, and yeah, like you say, you're just kind of looking out for your team first and foremost and hoping that they get better, and I think that's been the case for both of our teams in, in particular, and then you're just looking out for all the guys who you really like throughout that draft process and making sure that, you know, they go into a good spot and things like that, so yeah, it was, it was good, and it was kind of knocked a little bit because I had COVID over the weekend, and I'm just about getting over that. But generally speaking, yeah, it was good. It was tiring because I was kind of knackered out from COVID. But um, yeah, it was a different process of the weekend than what we usually get. But no, it was good, good nonetheless. Yeah, day, uh, day three did feel especially long this year. Uh, and I know it's the same every year, but I don't know why. Maybe I feel like this every year on day three and I just don't realise <laughs> till, till the next year comes up. But uh, we had like a hundred and odd gap between picks and I was getting to the point where I was like, yeah, I think I'm just going to turn off now and just have it on my phone when the Chiefs come up and just go out and do something because it's getting too much. But it was a good weekend. I have to say, I think I enjoyed day two more as a fan because we had more picks. Do you know what I mean? I'm not used to my yeah, team sure. having, having many day two picks. Day one's always fun for everyone because it's the most interesting kind of player names. You, teams can get better. You see loads of trades. But I think day two this year, there's so much talent. My team had a lot of picks mm. and there was so many trade downs from day one. I think day two especially was probably quite enjoyable for the, for the average fan. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because like, yeah, you know, day one is always about like the glitz and the glamour and the the big names and things like that. And that was the case this year, as it always is. But it also had like a bunch of trades as well, which made it like super super interesting. And then, like you say, that kind of bled over into the second day. I'm kind of in the opposite boat to you, though. Obviously, the Chargers only had one pick in on day <laughs> yeah. two, so I was kind of watching, and it was kind of just what I talked about a second ago, really, in terms of making sure that players that I liked went to good spots. And day three was obviously super interesting because we had loads of picks and. But, you know, you kind of got a little bit of draft fatigue. It's such a long day as well. But like you say, you're just kind of doing something in the background and kind of got your laptop or your phone with you and just kind of checking in every now and then. And yeah, it was it was a normal kind of weekend for me, really, in terms of the draft. Yeah, I think um, one thing that made it interesting is the NFL basically agreeing with all of our takes about the QB class, about the one went on <laughs> day one. And then I think round two, we had zero, which is the first time in... Uh, I can't remember if it's 13 years or so. We had it's a long time, but there's no QBs in day two uh, on in round two, and then round mm. three, we had a couple taken. So I think the fact that the NFL agreed with us there, it did make the draft more interesting because the whole coverage was like, when's the next QB? And then in the end, they just forgot about the QBs and they were just actually focusing on the good players. Yeah. Uh, whereas normally it's just like, right, oh my god, Mar Jackson, when's he going to go? He's falling, etc. Whereas this year, I felt like they kind of just got to day two after about 10 picks and they went. Oh, right. QBs are just not liked at all. Let's move on from QBs. Let's talk about all the good players, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm, yeah, no, it didn't get bogged down because, you know, it does usually get bogged down quite a lot with QB talk, doesn't it, in terms of like the coverage and things like that. And I do think that on, on day two, ESPN did, I don't know what feed everyone was watching, obviously there's a couple of options, but the ESPN feed was kind of in that old habit for a little bit. But then, like you said, they kind of snapped out of it and was like, all oh, right, okay, let's just get used to the fact that no QBs are going to go for a little while now and let's just start talking about all the other players. But yeah, no, it was a great job all around. I think um, the draft being in Vegas was was great as well. It looked like a great setting and, and uh, you know, they kind of made up for not having it the other year when, when COVID hit. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I looked back at some of your uh, the picks and the um, well, the, the rankings and the draft guide, and some of them did follow suit actually of what the teams picked in the end, which was pretty good, especially like linebackers and receivers and stuff with George Pickens falling and mm. um, Chanel as well being an underrated pick. So yeah, I thought the the draft guide looked good. Did a little mock draft I saw on Twitter as well, which was fun. Um, so yeah, it was a good draft weekend. Uh, do you actually watch the whole coverage, or do you follow along with the side commentary? Do you get fed up of the NFL.com kind of main stuff, or? It's, it's like one of those, isn't it, where you are watching along. I'm trying to avoid Twitter. I think Twitter's the thing to avoid. It's always like ahead of the, yeah. you know, the feed, whatever it is that you're getting. You know, night one, you just kind of, you know, you've got all the group chats going, I'm sure, and things like that. I'm trying to be a part of that as much as possible, but not kind of ruin your own draft experience and things like that. But yeah, like you say, day one and day two is kind of fully engrossed. Um, you know, watching everything that you can do, catching up in the morning, you know, kind of pick up whatever content you can do. Then day three, you probably just kind of like it's like secondary kind of thing, you're just kind of checking in, checking back, and kind of seeing what picks have gone. Like maybe you might have missed like five picks, and just catching up on those because you know they're they're so rapid fire, aren't they? And you know we've all got partners and things like that, and you don't want to be kind of tied up for the full day on Sunday because it's just oh, sorry the Saturday because it's just you know not allowed <laughs> in some quarters. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So yeah, no, it's it's uh, as much as you can do for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, there's definitely some fun trades and fun stuff to talk about. Today mm. we're gonna we're gonna do our favorite picks and our least favorite picks, and then a surprising pick each, and then do a little bit on the 2023 prospects for anyone that's already excited for uh, next year. Yeah. And there's a couple of uh, Lions fans, actually one Jets fan that's desperate that I know that's desperate for a certain wide receiver, but we'll talk about him later. Um, would you like to start on a positive note or a negative note and go favorite or least favorite? <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it for you to decide as a guest. Uh, let, let's let's get the the bad stuff out of the way and let's end on a high. All right, cool. Um, let's go with your let's go with your pick then. I know these are in no order, so whichever one you want to start with, which is a pick that was one of your least favorite five from the draft. Yeah, I'll kind of just go down my list. I think I've pretty much done it in number order. I think. Well, here we go. Anyway, I'm going to start right at the top, and it kind of start starts off with um, kind of me kind of qualifying this quite a lot, really, because I've gone for Trevor Walker at number one, which is not a, a pick that I particularly love, but it's not a pick I hate either. But it's one that I think that the Jags might end up really regretting in a couple of years' time. Because, obviously, with the number one pick, you can pick any player you want. I think that kind of goes without saying. Yeah. And they kind of, I don't know, if they were trying to be a bit contrary, if they were trying to kind of be a bit smartest guy in the room kind of thing. or I just feel like they've overthought this one. I think, you know, they've gone for a defensive end, and there's a couple of other stud defensive ends in the class you know it's not like walker is the only one with that position that they kind of could have got at that position and you know relative to the value and i just feel like you know we've got a couple of guys on the board in aiden hutchinson and Kayvon thibodeau who have kind of got a bigger resume of you know success at the college level maybe higher ceilings and things like that and you know i think i can't remember whose tweet it was that i saw a couple of days before the draft saying if trevon walker goes number one overall it was the best combine ever in the history of the combine. And obviously he did absolutely destroy it. But, you know, where was this kind of hype and love for him just, you know, throughout the season and things like that? And obviously one of his knocks is that he didn't get and have the most amount of production at Georgia. Um, he didn't spend all the time on the field because they're insane rotation, which I'm sure we'll talk about that later, a little later as well. But, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like this is one where the Jags have kind of left themselves out there to kind of regret this. Whereas if they picked some, what, something or someone that was a bit more kind of in line with everyone else's thinking, then we'd be kind of saying this is a great pick and things like that. Obviously, he can go the other way and he can absolutely knock it out of the park and the Jags actually do look like the smartest guy in the room. But, you know, it's Trent Balk and the Jags, so <laughs> probably not 
going to be the way. <laughs> yeah, I'd say it's less likely than. than likely. <laughs> but no, I think that's a fair shout. Um, I, well, I was interested in listening to some pods after where most people did agree with that. And I, I did see a few people say, which I think is fair, actually, the way that Georgia used him. They didn't rush him as much, especially on like second down. Mm. Um, they just wanted to get pushed from the inside. Uh, and their edges kind of just held, didn't they? And they blitz linebackers yeah, quite a lot, yeah. which I think is fair enough. But I also think you still do need to win. Even, there are reps where he does rush the passer and his pass rush win weight is not great. So I think, yes, maybe he wasn't used as well as possible, but I do think the production is a worry. Uh, and I found it funny how quickly the Lions turned in pick number two, which kind of <laughs> did just highlight, yeah. maybe highlighted what the rest of the class thought about Hutchinson versus... Walker, because I just think that said everything. Uh, and the fact that Thibodeau as well was another one that people rushed in to get in the card for, for New York. I think that it just says a lot about those two guys versus Walker. But yeah, we'll see. Maybe in a year or two's time, um, we could be sat here wrong. But yeah. I think it's a very risky pick. And I think he's actually joint third favourite with Thibodeau for uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year. So uh, even Vegas doesn't think that um, he's better than Hutchinson, given Hutchinson better odds for, That's for it. Defensive Rookie. And, you know, if you're the Jags, you, you're picking first overall for the second year in a row and perennially got a top five pick. And you just need to start hitting, not you know, hitting them out of the park, really, don't you? And just um, getting players right at that position because you can't keep wasting these picks. They've wasted a lot of picks over time. And I don't know, it just feel like, yeah, just kind of go along with conventional thinking, just hit a double and, you know, trying to you know, maybe hit a home run and failing a couple of times in the past has, has not let them down. It has let them down, sorry, so... Yeah, just kind of go along with conventional thinking, take Aiden Hutchinson, take Thibodeau and just kind of prosper with a good positional player and, you know, want it a primary position. Whereas, obviously, if Walker doesn't hit, then they're screwed again and they'll be back here in a year or two picking in the top five again. And you just can't keep doing that as a franchise, especially when you get these premium picks every, well, every year or two. Yeah, and I like I the player, do you know what I mean? I like the player. He's my third edge rusher, but you know, by virtue of that, then he shouldn't go number one because I've got at least two guys over him at that position, do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. And I think the thing with Jags fans is not that this really matters, but if they keep being, <laughs> if they keep being this bad, it, w- it could get to a point where your team might not even be in Jacksonville anymore. Like, do you know what I mean? You can't, sure. always, yeah. you can't always be the worst team in the league and have um, terrible attendances and stuff, but you never know. Trevor Lawrence could have a good year and Trayvon Walker can end up being, being a good pick. We'll see. Mm. It wouldn't shock me if they rushed him from the interior more as well because he had very good success against uh, guards and centres rather than uh, tackles, but we'll see. Uh, your second pick then is one that I wanted to pick as my pick. Um, I think this okay. is probably the most obvious one that anyone had. You had Cole Strange uh, to the Patriots. Uh, they traded with my Chiefs back to 29. And then they said straight after the draft that if they didn't pull the trade off, they would have picked him at 21. And I just find that hilarious. They have that lack of foresight to see. But um, where did you have him in your rankings and how much of a reach was it in your opinion? Oh, man, like he's a he was a player that like we all liked. And I liked him and things like that. But, you know, it, it's not around one player. Do you know what I mean? I, I know everyone's draft board's different and the Pats kind of do their own thing, generally speaking. So it's kind of not too surprising. But, like, I think the rest of the NFL is going to be kind of going along with that conventional thinking and the fact that he probably could have been got in the second round and that probably still would have been a little bit early, do you know what I mean, at the end of the second. So, you know, he's a good player and a player from a small school, they usually kind of build as everyone's kind of favourite sleepers, so to speak. You know, and these guys can be had in the second, third round. You know, thinking of people like... Quinn Miners from a year ago or when Ali Marpet came out of a small school and a few other guys, you know, especially on the, the offensive line, when they come out of small schools, they can have a lot of success. And I think the books especially have kind of had that success and other teams have kind of done it as well. And 
I think that they could have got him in the third round, to be honest with you. They could, might have been able to trade up in the third and get him kind of mid-beginning of the third or something like that, or traded back from the second round spot and got him. And it just felt like a huge sort of surprise. And as much as he's a player that everyone likes, like I say, a round one, just kind of premium pick to take him with was, was just super, super surprising. But it is the Pats at the end of the day. And, um, you know, they kind of do do their own thing. So it, it's, again, one of those things, going back to the Walker pick that we just said, where... They could look like the smartest team in the world, but at the same time, they could have probably got him later because I don't think any other team would have had him that high. So just a bit of a weird one, but again, a player that I like. So I'd, as much as I'm kind of saying these are our least favourite picks, they're still good players, and you know these might you know they might kind of work out for the best. But yeah, just kind of a, a strange one, so to speak. Pardon the pun, but um, yeah, definitely could have got him um, in the third. I think. Yeah, I'd agree. I think he was a 92nd player on my board, and they got him at 29. So yeah, it was a reach by me. Yeah. I think the consensus board as well was similar, um, and that's obviously taking loads of rankings into place. So I just think it was a bit of a reach. Um, they didn't get loads in the trade either. I think most trades that night, to be honest, um, they didn't get as much value as they would in a normal year, and they got third and a fourth from us, which it's back end of the third, back end of the fourth, so not great things, mm. but... Um, yeah, very odd one. They, uh, I've seen three different people before the draft compare him to Joe Tooney, and I find it funny that they went and drafted. <laughs> went, they went and drafted him after all the work they did with Tooney in New England. But um, I don't think Dante Skarnick is there anymore, so no. um, we'll see how their O line develops. But yeah, it was definitely a reach. Uh, if you like him that much, just trade back again for me. Just trade back into the thirties and forties. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Again, you'll get so many picks that it will kind of make his value less of an issue because you're going to get four or five picks. But just to get those two. And then, then reach on this. I think it negates that. But, yeah. For for me, like these round one picks are just so valuable. You've just got to maximise them to the, to, especially at the end of the first round. Obviously, if you're New England, if you're Kansas City, you expect almost to be picking towards the end. So you've kind of got to maximise the value that you can from them. And I think the Chiefs did a good job of that in the, with their late first round picks. You know, and. New England, like I say, again, might be in a position where we look back in a couple of years' time and just think, why did they do that? Why didn't they just <laughs> take someone, um, you know, who's, again, more conventional thinking kind of would have said, yeah, that's a good pick, and then trade forward for, for Cole Strange in the, even in, like, like say, the middle of the second or something like that, and he would have still been there in the top 50. Yeah, I agree. Um, speaking of a team that I thought actually would trade up back to 29 with the Chiefs or in New England, I got the Seahawks pick as one of mine Kenneth Walker mm. uh, is it Kenneth Walker the second I think officially that's his actual name isn't it but yeah um pick 40 and 41 roll around and I was a hundred percent actually no I was 90 percent sure <laughs> that Malik Willis was about to be called out in one of the two yeah. first pick comes off the board it was the um who was it um Boya Boya Mafe. Mafe, yeah. and then I'm sat there thinking okay a bit weird how you don't pick your QB first that's not great for, <laughs> for, the, for the for the brand for the brand but if you want to save a couple hundred grand let's do it next pick comes off the, the board it's a running back and it's the Seattle Seahawks so for me, I think he's a good player. He was my RB too. So, uh, and I am a bit of an analytical person that doesn't enjoy picking running backs high up in the draft. So I'm never going to like the pick. But I did think it was strange that a team that had this many holes, in my opinion, didn't have a right tackle at this point, uh, or or a cornerback too, or maybe a left guard. Uh, and then you go pick a running back when they've spent so much caps on running back before. I think Carson is injured for the season already. But uh, for me, it was just a bit of a reach. I do like the player, but. The fit when you need a QB and you're rolling out Drew Lock there for me, I just did not like the value here for Kenneth Walker. Yeah, no, I can I can see where you're coming from. Really, do you think that that is kind of the Seahawks saying, "Look, let's hold our hands up. This isn't happening next year. Let's just roll with Drew Lock. Let's roll with Gino, and you know, let's kind of put the pieces around them." Because 
in hindsight, you know, later on getting Abraham Lucas and things like that, you know, they, they did pretty well in terms of getting getting some good players through the door and Walker kind of helps take that pressure off. I mean, like you say, Chris Carson's done, they've got Rashad Penny already. So it wasn't like a need per se, but do you think that's them just kind of admitting that this ain't going anywhere for at least 12 months, so let's just kind of put the support system in place? Yeah, that's what I want to think. And they've got a, le- <laughs> they've got a left and a right tackle, obviously, which is impressive. Um, mm. But they're both air raid tackles, which doesn't suit the run game for P. Carroll. But uh, it wouldn't shock me if they think, oh, no, we're so good that we are just going to run the ball on teams and we're going to be a power run team and we're going to try and win games 13-10. Uh, <laughs> it wouldn't shock me if their thinking was that they're so good on defense uh, with Pete Carroll's scheme that they could just win by the run game. Um, and I could also see them trading, to be honest, for Baker or, or Jimmy, which probably makes this pick less annoying. But, uh, yeah, I just didn't like it. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if they thought the opposite of that. But that's clever thinking by you. And I think Seahawks fans would agree with you. But I think Pete Carroll might say the opposite. But um, we'll see. Uh, was he your number one running back on your board or was he number two? No, like my... I was in your boat. He was two for me as well. Cool. Um, whilst we're on that note, then we'll go to my next one, just because I want to get your opinions on this, because I was lower on this than a lot of people I spoke to in my group chats was Kenny Pickett at number 20 to the Steelers. And I, I get the argument is uh, they didn't have to trade up, which I think is a positive in this year's draft. Um, they let him fall to them. They obviously like him and he's a QB, so it's a very valuable pick. But for me, it was my QB three. Um, I think I listened to you guys on the pod and a couple of you weren't keen on him either. Um, but where did you kind of sit on Pickett and did you think this was a bad pick by them or do you just think maybe you've got to just take who you like in this situation? I mean, what what uh, Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, is wanting is a mobile quarterback and that's why they've got Mitchell Trubisky. And I guess as much as I don't like him, I was probably one of those two people that you were referring to who didn't like Pickett as a player. Yeah, You know, that's what they're getting at the end of the day. And they're getting a guy who doesn't have to make all that adjustment to the NFL because he's not moving city, he's not moving stadium and things like that. So that's kind of a positive. I mean, out of the quarterbacks, like you say, they obviously liked him the boat the most. And I'll say probably that was the sentiment around the league because as we saw, and as you mentioned before, it was a long old wait until the next one. So I don't know. I mean, you know, if they've been rolling out the ghost of Ben Roethlisberger, aren't they, at the quarterback <laughs> over the past couple of years, and it's not been pretty at all for a Steelers fan. I mean, I thought it was great because, you know, fellow AFC team ahead fan, so not really too bothered who they've got a quarterback if he's bad. But, I mean, I guess you just kind of go with the hometown kid, I guess, and you just kind of roll with it and see what happens, you know. I, the, the thing I have about the Steelers is that with Mike Tomlin there, and they kind of showed this last year, is they're going to get some wins anyway because they're just so well coached and, yeah. you know, their defence is going to be good and he, he does not really need to do a great deal. And, you know, they probably still need to beef up the, the uh, offensive line, but, you know, they've got some decent wide receivers. Uh, they, you know, refresh that again, this draft, and they're going to have Najee Harris in the backfield still. So kind of takes the pressure off him a little bit. But no, I wasn't a huge Pickett fan beforehand, but at the end of the day, if they kind of want to, um, put him in that situation where he doesn't need to start straight away. That might be conducive to have him having a good start to his career because, you know, that was my big thing that none of these QBs are ready, including Pickett, to start week one. So, and they don't have to do that. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's a good situation. I think the best situation could have been the Saints, uh, him going there. But, um, you know, the Steelers isn't bad. It's a great organisation and, like I say, really well coached and things like that. So, he'll, he'll get a good start to his career, I'm, I'm sure of it. 
Yeah, it's funny. The building that he trained in at college is the same building yeah. as trains, and they've just got a dividing wall in between, which I find uh, I found funny that he basically gets to go to work the same place. He just gets to live in like a million dollar house rather than college <laughs> college it, dorms, yeah. which is pretty it's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, I think my thought was they're so good, and I agree with you. They're going to be good again. Then they're not going to be great, but I think they're going to be good. Mm, yeah. That this is the year where you can take any quarterback you want. So you're number one. Whereas I think in the future, next year or the year after, if if this doesn't work out, they're going to have to trade loads of assets probably i know the next yeah. two classes i don't know about three years away but the next two classes are, are much better um you have to trade a lot to get your number one quarterback to, to get into that top five probably so i just think this was the year for them to do it but uh if their number one was pick it then they've got to trust their trust their evaluation but yeah i agree with you i think they'd be a good team and it actually wouldn't shock me if mitch trubisky played the whole year to be honest because everything no, you hear about them run game mobile quarterback they want to do a lot more boots out to the left and right kind of mm. more play action throws as well i think he suits that as much as pickett would um and it has more experience in the league so it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if pickett didn't play uh let's move back to to your list then who's the, the next name you want to talk about okay so yes kind of sticking with um a theme i think throughout the whole list that we've got here with <laughs> running backs um i'm going to kind of hate on my own team for a second and say isaiah spiller in the fourth round now not again i'm going to qualify it especially because it's my team not a player that i am like super high on i'm not going to kind of now come on the podcast especially after sending out a couple of tweets in the in the aftermath of this pick and pretend that i was like i'm in love with this pick because i wasn't he's too similar to the running backs that we've got already in in, in the backup to austin eckler in terms of larry roundtree and josh kelly who they don't have a lot of pop to them they don't have that second gear to kind of you know long breakaway speed and he's too linear and he's, he's like a bigger back. He's once like a kind of thunder lightning kind of combination that we've been searching for. And, you know, whilst I'll admit that he is a certain upgrade over those two guys and probably will win the RB2 job, I think, especially because we didn't have a second round pick, as we kind of mentioned earlier on, um, I don't think running back was the pick at four, you know, in round four with our third pick. I thought there was other areas that we could have addressed. I mean, we came away with no edge player. Um, we came away with no right tackle and that, could have been a pick to be addressed there and kind of pick up another running back later on and maybe then you're just perpetuating needing a running back again. I don't know. But yeah, I, I just really wasn't in love with this pick. I didn't think... I mean, I'm a bit like you in, in the sense that running backs never really get my juices flowing unless they're you know truly elite players. So I remember thinking this about the two picks that I've just mentioned, the Josh Kelly pick and the Roundtree pick in the past couple of years, just thinking, yeah, it's a bit of a wasted pick. But... You know, I'll happily take the L on this one if he turns out to be really good. Uh, but it's just one that just really kind of didn't excite me. And I just thought, like I say, other areas could have been addressed at that point in the draft for us. So, yeah, like I say, either Spiller, not one that I kind of loved, really. Yeah, he wasn't high on my board either. Uh, and as a Roundtree dynasty owner, I can confirm here, <laughs> Roundtree definitely has no pop. So if Isaiah Spiller doesn't have any pop either, then it's, uh, it's not good. But it's weird how your running back one is probably... Maybe I'm not quite sure about the numbers, but the most athletic running back. Do you know I mean, some of the stuff you can see him do in the gym, like non-football stuff. Yeah, uh, he is a crazy athlete. And then all the other running backs are very like low-level, ground and pound sort of. Yes, yeah, yeah. it's quite strange how I know sometimes you do like a one-two punch, but it's funny because you carry like four running backs on the roster at times last year. All three of the backups are always similar. Then none of them are like Eckler, which I find quite odd. Yeah, I think, I can't remember again who I saw tweet this, but it was like the triple Spider-Man pointing at each other gift, and it was like, uh, meme, sorry, and yeah, it was like the three running backs that we just mentioned, so yeah, it just, it did feel like that, um, 
and yeah someone who loves a meme I wish I thought about that but I didn't but yeah no I just thought I'd chat with that person because that was a real like it was on the nose but yeah like I say hopefully he kind of proves me wrong and is a, I mean he is a bit better than those guys I'm not going to kind of dress it up but hopefully he is kind of tangibly so because it, to me it wasn't worth a fourth round pick in terms of the difference between those guys and Isaiah Spiller but yeah we, we're here to be proven wrong. Yeah, and hopefully uh, for Chargers fans, Eckler has a full season and you don't see Spiller on that much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that, that'd be a benefit. Um, we'll stick with the running backs then. I'll do these quick just because we don't need to all spend too much on running backs. Uh, Ty Davis-Price, who was picked by the 49ers. I mentioned him just because, well, it's just typical. Carl Shanahan loves to draft a running back mm. too, too early when he doesn't need to. And then I guarantee within 20, 30 days of training camp, the snaps will be gone. It'll be the same as Trey Sermon. The snaps will be gone. But uh, yeah, for some reason, he just loves to overdraft running backs. And then the other two, uh, Pierre Strong, who I actually like, uh, and Kevin Harris, they both went to the New England Patriots, who've already got four running backs on the roster before this. They signed another one, UDFA. Uh, I don't have his name to hand, but there's seven running backs now on the Patriots roster. And I just think, again, for a team that had that weird first round, and you do need players across certain key positions like secondary. I know they drafted two corners, but I wasn't high on either of them, to be honest. But um, they need corner help. They're not incredible backup tackle-wise. Um, obviously, wide receiver's not great. Uh, and for me, I just think two running backs for the Patriots was a waste. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, with both of these, to be fair, I mean, I didn't love uh, Ty Davis-Price. And I liked um, Pierre Strong, but Kevin Harris, not you know not a player that I would have been picking at all, I don't think. I think he's pretty milky toast. Um, but yeah, like you say, just two teams that are kind of in the same boat of just kind of accumulating loads of running backs. I mean, Damien Harris is a good running back. Stevenson proved that he's a you know decent backup anyway. So what do you need more outside of that? And you've got James White coming back, who's one of my favourite players in the NFL. So outside of that, three. So what do you need? What more do you need? You don't need to spend a fourth and a sixth round pick on any more guys. You know, like you say, just pick up a UDFA, pick up some guy who's you know been in the league for a little while as a vet. And, if you want some camp bodies, there you go. You don't need to spend draft capital on them. Like you say, when you've got these holes in your roster and you spend in your first round pick on Cole Strange and your second round pick on Tycon Thornton, who super overdrafted as well, by the way. Um, and then, you know, the 49ers, as much as, like you say, they just accumulate these almost like no-name running backs, but Shanahan's kind of scheme and him and, and like the coaches have just just churn out 1,000-yard runners. So you can't really argue too much of it. But, yeah, weird picks nonetheless. And... Um, you know, like I say, we, we're here to prove them wrong, I guess, but yeah, not a fan of, of either of those picks, really, in terms of those teams. No, I think the 49ers can churn out good runners, so just do it in rounds, do it in, do it in, like, do it in UDFA, do you know what I mean? Do it in yeah, failed yeah, yeah. draft picks. It's the that does it anyway, so... <laughs> yeah, fa- failed draft picks from other teams, do you know what I mean? I just think there's, there's, there's ways you can do it, especially in the outside zone, like you said, I just think it was... Um... It was a waste. Uh, even a guy like that we drafted in Pacheco from Rutgers, like he would be sick of the Carl Shanahan scheme. And it was like a hundred picks later. So I just think that uh, it just doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, let's go back to your list then. Um, go to a first round pick. Um, talk about <laughs> which, whichever one you want. Uh, your two that you think. I'll I'll stick with yeah. I'll stick with the order that I've got him in, and that's um, yeah Tyler Smith to to Dallas and. Yeah, this was a bit of a head scratch, wasn't it? Even more head scratching when Jerry Jones was flashing their their playlist at all the press, um, and yeah, I saw that, that someone. Yeah, that was really, really, really strange, wasn't it? Like you're not like finished the draft, like that's intel for people to use on like kind of your draft strategy and things like that. And I I spotted that today someone's kind of 
taken a picture of it and then they've, they've kind of published lists on, you know, they've met waited to do that. And what Jerry Jones was saying is actually true, that they did have Tyler Smith over the likes of Zion Johnson and, and people like that that he was claiming. So I don't know, bizarre process, I guess, you know, people have difference of opinions, especially Jerry Jones, but, you know, they went and got their guy, so I can't really, you know, criticise them too much. But again, a bit like the Cole Strange pick earlier that I was talking about, it's one of those where, Again, you probably could have got in a little bit later, could have traded back. Obviously, you've got to have a dance partner to trade back. It's not as easy as kind of like switching on Madden and just being like, yeah, I want to trade back and getting like five offers. But um, yeah, just kind of a player that I feel like they could have got a bit later. Um, and, you know, is he a little bit kind of overrated in terms of, you know, late on in the draft process, he seems to be getting a lot of balls. Has that come from the NFL or has that come from people just kind of latching onto him too late? I don't know. But, you know, if he's their guy, then fair enough. But again, it just felt like a little bit like a, a player they could have got a little bit later again. Yeah, I find it funny. Every year, the um, Dallas Cowboys board gets leaked because they do the inside the draft room, like YouTube series after the draft. And some of the orders of the picks compared to how other NFL teams seem to have them is always hilarious. So I found it funny that Jerry was just flashing that uh, flashing that list before. <laughs> I also find it funny the day before the draft, he said that his uh, his son was the one who picked Taco Charlton. And I, he said, I'm the one that picked uh, Michael Parsons. So yeah, he threw him right under the bus with that. Yeah, yeah, it made me laugh. I was thinking, go on, Jerry, just do what you want at like, age 88 or whatever he is. But, <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit higher than on Ty Smith than you, I think. Partly that is bias because I bet on him to go in the first round at ridiculous oh, nice. odds. So I was uh, I was very keen for him to go, but I actually thought it might be to a team like the Packers because apparently they liked him. But yeah, he went to Dallas. Do you see him as a right tackle of the future for them or is he going to end up kicking into guard? I think I think they said today, haven't they, that they want to start him inside and then he'll eventually replace Tyrone Smith, which seems a little bit wild. But yeah, I mean, if that's what their their vision for him is. But yeah, no, I think starting people off, you know, when they are, you know, coming from like a low level of competition and they weren't super hyped, obviously in the high school process, obviously he's ended up at Tulsa. Um, you know, kick him into guard unless they have become truly elite at a tackle position then I think that's always a nice way to start them off and then kick them out as they become a bit more acclimated to the NFL so yeah I think that's pretty sensible but like I say the, the sky and the kind of limit on that is you know in terms of replacing one of the best tackles to play in recent years is is uh, is, is a tough one I would say yeah. I'd say that yeah struggle to afford to pay T Smith to play right tackle so they just draft a different T Smith to play right tackle <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We'll see. It seems like a Jets move with all the Michael Carters and stuff that they've got. But, um... <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like, Ross is really wild, isn't it? With their names and stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's move over to receivers then, because we've both got one on our list. We'll start with mm. the, one on, the one on your list, because it's more interesting with the, with the trade as well. Um, we've gone with Traylon Burks, obviously, to the Titans. Uh, in the process of this, <laughs> the Titans did trade AJ Brown to the Eagles for pick 19, was it, or 18? I can't That's right, 19, yeah, yeah. Yeah, whichever one they had. Um so first of all, I feel sorry for Burks because he's going to be linked to AJ Brown forever, mm. um, which I don't think is obviously not his fault. He did get comped to AJ Brown by a lot of people, and I do see the, <laughs> yeah. the I see the physical side of it. I don't see the route running and stuff, but I see the physical side. But for me, I agree with you because I wasn't a big Burks fan. So I think to go that early after the trade, I think you'd almost be better off just picking a better player here and just with the later pick, pick a different receipt, take a risk on George Pickens or whoever. Um, I just didn't like the value at Burks and 19, but wh- why didn't you like it? Was it all because of the AJ Brown factor or you just don't like the player as well? No, I, I like the player a good amount. I mean, he, he's a good player, but it, it's just everything it's kind of linked to. And yeah. like trading away AJ Brown, who is a genuine star in the league. I mean, I'll come out and kind of full disclosure. 
when I was evaluating AJ Brown a few years ago, I didn't like him at all. I think he was like wide receiver six or seven for me. So I kind of missed on him, which is kind of bad on me. But yeah, obviously he's blossomed in the league and has become like a, a true wide receiver one in this offense. And it's an offense that really suits him. You know, it's not all on him. It's Derek Henry's offense after all. It's not even the quarterback's offense. You know, and like you say, Traylon Burks is now going to be linked to AJ Brown. That's unfair. But you know, you basically trade away a superstar receiver because you don't want to pay him. And why can't you pay him? Because you're overpaying your average quarterback. It's just a horrendous process all the way around. And it's kind of been doomed to failure the whole time that they've been paying Ryan Tannehill like $40 million a year or whatever he's due to make this year. Um, and I think, you know, we'll mention Tennessee a little bit later, I think. But yeah, I just I just think this is a terrible process. Like the player itself is fine, it, it, you know. I don't think it's an amazing pick, but I don't think it's a terrible one either. But the whole like situation surrounding it is, is just terrible from Tennessee, which is surprising because they have got their roster decisions right more than wrong in recent years, which is you know, why they're a good, good team. Yeah, they've got it right. And what they've done in the last two years, they've moved away from... But they've done high-value decisions like Caleb Farley taking a risk and picking him late. But then <laughs> but then they've kind of gone all-in with veteran players. And, right, they've paid people. Obviously, I wouldn't pay Derek Henry because of the whole... PFF running back hatred that I have in me. <laughs> um, but yeah, paid Tannehill and they were kind of in a win. They were moving towards what I would call a win now mode. And this year they didn't lose too many players in free agency. They lost a couple like people like, like Saffold and stuff like that. But people you could replace and you think, right, this is your year. You're a number one seed. Go one more time. And then if you need to reset, next year's perfect way to do it because Tannehill, you can cut him and you can save 20 million and you can reset next year. But to do it this year with the receiver and then still have to play to pay Tannehill, even if he doesn't play now or what, I think, for me, I agree. I think the process is a bit odd. Uh, and the offer, I don't know if you saw this, the offer they gave AJ Brown, which was like, I think, 16 million of actual cash that could rise to 20 with incentives. Apparently, it's come out now the incentives were, were relatively likely. A lot of them were injury-based because he does he does suffer injuries. Mm. Um, but that's not enough. Do you know what I mean? That's Christian Kirk money, which is... Yeah. Uh, and AJ Brown's 24 as well. He's not like 28 or 29 like... Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams. He's he's 24, so yeah, I agree with you. I thought it was a weird move, uh, but it was a hell of a trade for the Eagles. <laughs> but I wonder if we're going to see a lot of this in in years to come because the wide receiver market has just absolutely exploded over yeah. the past few years, and a team's going to be like, well, we can't actually afford to pay you that because you literally won the best receiver in the league on your rookie contract, and now we just can't afford it because we've got a veteran quarterback. So it's going to be interesting kind of tidbits to kind of watch out for in, in years to come. I think if this is kind of a trendsetter moving forward. Yeah, it is. Fortunately, my team were one of the ones that set the trend. Um, but we'll, <laughs> we'll move on from that. Uh, my last pick then, Jahan Dotson, went to uh, Washington Commanders. Nearly said football team. Um, Commanders. This was a weird pick for me. A, I think they did it at pick 16. So they traded back, which I think they could have just got <laughs> Jameson Williams there at 12, which I think would have been a way, way better decision for me. But, okay, you trade back, which I generally like because you get more assets. You're not probably going to win a Super Bowl this year. So, you can pick up more assets for the future. I like the process. But then you pick a receiver that, for me, he wasn't... I had, like, full disclosure, I had Pickens and Sky Moore both above him. Um, and you pick him at 16, do you know what I mean? Like, those two guys went, for me, at 52 and 54. Mm. I just think it's such a reach for a team that could have had a better wide receiver a few picks earlier. So I just didn't like the process for me. And I'm not big on the player. And I know you're not huge on the player either. You didn't see him as a round one talent, did you? I don't think. No, we, we were messaging about this a few weeks ago, weren't we? I just didn't see this at all. I thought that he was one of these classic players that's like going to be a better college player than he is going to be an NFL player. And the reason for that is, obviously, he's an outside receiver, but he doesn't have an outside receiver body. So he's 5'10", he's got relatively short arms, he's not like super, super explosive as in like quickness and things like that. 
and he's going to be asked to win in that way against bigger, faster, stronger corners. And I just don't see it translating too much. You know, I don't think he's going to have like huge success. And when you, again, as you kind of alluded to, you throw in the process where you could have had Jameson Williams, that means that the, I almost said football team then as well, commanders, um, they obviously have John Dotson like higher than at least like Jameson Williams, maybe other receivers as well, which kind of then just throws into into question all their process as well, as we've kind of been saying. I think that's been a real theme amongst our least favourite picks is like, the team's process just seems super off, and this is why teams stay bad. Yeah, exactly. What did you, I think we had Hamilton maybe still on the board here at this pick. Yes, um, we did. Yeah, you had Penning, which I know whatever you think of Penning, but they 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 haven't got very uh, good depth at, at tackle. Uh, obviously, you had McDuffie on the board. You had Jermaine Johnson. You had Carl. You had like positional, like high positional needs for this team. And I just think it was strange to do what they did. And I, I agree. I, I just just take Jameson Williams rather than if you want a receiver that bad. I, don't, I honestly don't. If you were, knew you were going to trade back, maybe they were kind of thinking, oh, the Lions won't trade up for a receiver because uh, they need a quarterback, or maybe, maybe that they were kind of sold a dummy by the Lions about who they were coming up for. But to trade in in division and give them this receiver and you get Dotson, I just think that's uh, oh no, sorry, not in division. That's the Vikings who did that trade. Uh, but yeah, to trade out and then to to get the same positional player but worse, I just think it was a. Uh, that's it, and you know, I just thought in the original position, obviously Alave went, so you could have, you may must have had Alave over him as well. Sorry, um, Dotson above Alave as well. So again, kind of strange because that must have made him like at least wide receiver two or three, which is just bizarre to me. Like I, said, I just don't see him translating too well for his like skill set and his kind of like measurables. Yeah, I agree. Um, cool. Last one I'll just quickly mention is I found it. Uh, we are the Vikings went with Ed Ingram from LSU, who's uh, currently under investigation from the police for a year-long sexual assault case. So I honestly do not know why you would even bother spending a pick. This is similar to the Adam Anderson scenario where mm. I think he went undrafted. So yeah, yeah, we're not going to talk about it in depth, but I just find it strange that a team like this that traded back so many times for value, brand new front office, and then you pick someone who... It's not even like a case of, oh, it's been found innocent and it's a bit dodgy. It's like, no, this is a current court case. It's going on as we speak and he's in court like regularly for it. So uh, I find that a bit of a strange one. But, it is. Uh, yeah, he's not even a great player for me, but uh, that's kind of... <laughs> uh, take the player, Yeah, take the secondary. Yeah, I find it strange when you're a team uh, like them. Um, yeah, that did their, their general manager as well previously has even discussed this topic about when John Dorsey was drafting players with certain backgrounds. I just think it was a bit of a... A bit of an odd one. Um, let's move to two favourite picks then. Uh, I knew the Baltimore Ravens would feature he- heavily, so we'll, yeah. talk, we'll talk about them first. I know there's one specific pick you could mention, but you could probably mention five of their picks, I think. So which one was the one that you thought was your, your favourite? The one, I mean, obviously the, the Carl Hamilton pick is one that everyone wants to kind of talk about, I think, because it was kind of at 14, he didn't have to move and things. But the one that I think was the, the kind of favourite one for me is David Ajabo at 45. Because, you know, as much as he's probably not going to play, maybe not even this whole season, but you don't draft for this season, you draft for the next four or five years. So, you know, I just love this pick. I mean, you're getting around one talent in the middle of the second round or, the, you know, beginning to middle of the second round. And he, I think to me, has just landed in the most perfect spot because as much as they do have a new defensive coordinator, so it might not be fully like, you know, man blitz heavy as what it has been in the past under Martindale, 
this um I, I can't remember his name mcdonald i think his name is the new defensive yeah, coordinator right. he's still of that school he's apart from when he took a year away to go to michigan he's been in baltimore for the whole time i think for the past like four or five years before that so he's still going to be of the same ilk i think and i think the system's not going to change too much and then you get in him linking up with his former high school friend Adafi Owe as well, who are just going to be able to create like a young tandem of edge rushers off, you know, and just kind of tee off against anyone they're playing against. So as much as Ajabo um, isn't going to get an instant impact, it might give him some time to kind of like learn the game a little bit more because obviously it's well documented that you know he's not been playing football for very long and things like that. So I think you know having his rehab at an NFL facility and be able to kind of get all the treatment and strength conditioning and things like that over the next, like, even 12 months, let's say, and then just having that three-year period on this rookie contract just to kind of tee off and just be in the best place possible, I think is an absolute dream. But, yeah, like you say, the Ravens early on just absolutely killed it. Hamilton, lots of people point at the Linderbaum um, pick as well, which is a bit of a weird scheme fit, but, you know, still a great player, you know, late late on as well so yeah they kind of killed it but yeah Jabba was my kind of one maybe it's because I'm like a bit more defense especially edge guy so um yeah he just kind of stood out to me as like one of my favorite picks the whole draft they also picked the the biggest right tackle in history yeah. to, to go <laughs> yeah. alongside Ben Cleveland if they wanted to play Ben Cleveland the guard and they could actually just have like a Game of Thrones style offensive <laughs> line like that's crazy how uh, how well it, the just, draft. it just reminds you of like Orlando Brown all over again right because they got him yeah. like yeah. Uh, super value as well and you know he played great for them again you know for Lele it's not going to be a scheme fit for everyone but again Ravens just getting a guy who just fits them so well just like they have done with Ajabo and Hamilton as well so yeah no absolutely knocked out of the park even though it wasn't a huge for Lele guy but for Baltimore then yeah it's perfect yeah and I agree going back to Jab, I think it was a good pick good value at pick 45 and um, they picked good value the whole the whole night as they always do and I actually think he could be healthy for the playoffs and could you imagine if you're a team like them who doesn't have amazing pass rush they, they kind of do it by committee mm. and then you then you get to plug yeah. in someone who yes he's probably not going to play on first and second down when he comes back but on every third down in the playoffs in every obvious passing situation you could just put him on the field with Oway and just say right just get after the pass so that's all you need yeah. to do yeah yeah so, so I think it's perfect fit um, and I'll just add for the Ravens the fact they got 23rd pick for Hollywood Brown after picking him with pick 26 I think it was three years ago that's probably one of the smartest bits of business you're going to see because he wasn't a scheme fit it didn't quite work he wanted to leave anyway and then you actually you actually use three years of um, good cost control and then get rid of him for more than you paid for him which I just think is is uh, is incredible for them um I want to talk, we'll just go back to the Titans, actually, for one of mine. So uh, I wanted to mention Malik Willis, and it's topical with uh, stuff that's been said today on Twitter. Well, not on Twitter, but shared on Twitter from Ryan Tannehill. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of my favourite picks, um, similar to the Ajabo one, really, just in terms of pure value of where he is and, and, and where I thought he should go. He was my QB1, uh, very close to Ridder. I did kind of flip back and forth between the two. Uh, but he went and picked 86 to the Titans. Uh, and again, I just wanted to highlight, similar to Ajabo, it's not because of injury, it's just because of uh, positional need and what the draft obviously thought about about these players. But I think the value is so good um, that even if they didn't go into the draft thinking they were actually going to take a QB, I just think it was very clever of them to, to do it, kind of bite the bullet, look at the board and think, right, this is the best pick for our football team for the next five years rather than the next one year. So for me, I think Will- Willis was a great pick by the Titans. Yeah, 100%. Like they, if they... You know, do get rid of Tannehill as we kind of discussed uh, earlier on, and then you've given Malik Willis some time to marinate behind him in that point, and then you turn it over to him, and you know he's a third round pick coming in and being the starter. Then happy days, do you know what I mean? You've not had to spend premium draft capital on 
find new starting QB and there's no pressure on him to, to be the, to be that guy because he's not got that first round tag hanging over him for the rest of his career. So as much as it was probably pretty shocking and maybe a little bit embarrassing to be hanging around in the green room for such a long time, in the long run, it might have turned out to be the best thing for him and, and for the Titans as well. So yeah, no, I was on board with that. I liked that pick as well. Yeah, I think he heard that he was going to go a lot later because after round one, he went to a hotel in Vegas instead rather than stay in the green room, <laughs> which I think was a clever decision because uh, yeah, he, he, yeah, he was pretty emotional when he got picked, which you always would be, but you could see it was him and Ridder. Ridder looked more angry and um, Malik looked a little bit more relieved. So I think that was probably a good decision. Uh, on the note of QB, to be honest, actually, if, if they'd have picked Willis at the end of round one, I would have come on here and said it was a good pick as well. So for me, it's just mm. such a, yeah, such a good value. but. Uh, on the other note, we heard for a long time that Kenny Pickett was going to get picked at number six. I just wanted to mention uh, Iki Kwan, who was not my tackle one or two. I had him at three and I could see him being a guard at the next level. But uh, I thought it was a good pick, A, because of the process. Like we said earlier, there's bad process on the bad picks. But I thought this was good. You didn't go QB. You didn't get pigeonholed into your biggest need. You kind of, as a GM, you've forgone the, the worry of losing your job. And you, they picked a, a player that definitely does improve their team for this year improves him for the future and doesn't mean you're reaching on someone who I think wouldn't improve your team. So I just think the Icky pick was was really good, uh, even though I probably would have picked Cross. Um, for them, they've always liked Icky, obviously comes from the state in terms of college. So mm. um, I think this was just a good process pick for a team that had no picks. And then they come back and get a QB later anyway. So even I, even if I don't love Corral, I think they, they still got a QB in this draft that could compete for something. So I thought it was a good process by the Panthers, which I haven't said for about three years, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with everything that you said there. Like, I, I thought it was big for them not to get drawn into QB, especially because they probably wouldn't start. And then you're looking at Matt Rule and his job prospects for the next 12 months, and you're thinking, well, you've not got a second-round pick, you've not got a third-round pick, and you're then picking a player who's not going to help you in the next 12 months. So what are you kind of doing to yourself? <laughs> but yeah, and they've had, like, a revolving door of left tackles. So even if, yeah, like you say, he ends up a guard eventually, then, you know, they're going to get a good player on the offensive line, which is important for them, even if it doesn't stop that revolving door at left tackle. But, you know, stick him out there and see what he does because, you know, if you're going to run it to that side, then he's going to open up some holes for you and I'm sure he'll get better in pass protection. And, you know, he's not terrible in pass protection at the minute. No, no. Um, cool, let's go back to your list then. Uh, I found this pick interesting after a lot of the picks we were slagging off in the, <laughs> the, bad, the bad pick. So uh, what was your next pick you like? Yeah, so I can see why you'd say that. So it's Richard White to Tampa Bay. Um, I mentioned a couple of things earlier. So I mentioned that James White is one of my favourite players in the NFL. Um, and I just feel like that Richard White is just going to be the new James White. Obviously, I don't think I would have liked this as much if it wasn't Tom Brady that was playing quarterback for the Bucks this year. But... I do feel like he's just going to become that James White kind of figure. Just he's going to be sort of snagging everything out the backfield in the air, and you know he he's got some juice surrounding him as well. You know, not a lot of people in this country, at least, because it's on so late and and things like that, don't watch Pac-12 football. But I I do, and yeah, he's a player that out of Arizona State I've been watching a lot over the past 12, 18 months, and just been really hyped for. And uh, as much as you know, he was never going to go to my team because again, he's going to go too early, and he did. Um, he's just a player that I just think has landed in a great spot. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the start of the pod, where I was just kind of watching out for these guys who I really like. And I just feel like with Tom Brady being there, and he's just Tom Brady's style of running back, you know, and he's different to someone like Leonard Fournette. So I just think his role is kind of clearly defined. He's a player that fits that role really nicely, and he's going to be on a, a good team with a quarterback that's just going to look after him. So I just think the potential there. Um, and if anyone's a fantasy player out there, I'd definitely go ahead and you in your rookie drafts and take Richard White as early as you can. As, 
you know, as long as it's not kind of like in the first couple of picks. But um, yeah, just a player that I just think kind of hand and glove fit with a lot of what he's going to get to do there in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I agree. And I think he fits well with the room as well in terms of um, the way that Fournette can rush. Uh, I know Vaughan is a player maybe that does similar things, but you can tell they're not huge fans of him. So I just mm. think that, I think overall, yeah, you're right. It just improves the offense. Uh, and they're a team that didn't have loads of holes, aren't they? Compared to a lot of teams in the NFL. Sure. They've, gone, yeah, yeah. they've gone so all in. Um, and I think I was reading um, PFS text analytics and they actually comped him to James White perfectly from the oh, screen. Amazing. Yeah, so I was laughing thinking like, when I saw the pick and they were they were saying like the comps via the scouting reports and the, the most perfect one was James White and I was laughing thinking, yeah, Tom Brady has uh, almost single-handedly made this pick himself. Uh, <laughs> which, uh, it's, it's, it's a perfect pick. Um where was he on your board in terms of running backs out of all the um, rankings? He was running back five for me. But, uh, yeah, a player that I just like, liked probably more than that, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, you like the way he plays as well rather than just the value of him. Yeah. Um, cool. Let's move to the next one on your list then because this is one that I, I was going to put down as well. Uh, Tariq Woolen to Seattle. Uh, how did he fall to the fifth Is it with that, with that testing? Is it just pure uh, how some of his tape looked in coverage or what? I don't know. Like I, I always pick when I do my final mock draft, um, and anybody who read it would have noticed that Tariq Woolen was actually the Bucks pick late in the first. I always kind of have a pick like this where I'm kind of swinging from the fences a little bit because you know it's the late first and there's no first round graded players probably for most teams left by then. So you're going to kind of draft the upside, and I had that as like a main theme throughout my whole kind of draft process that this draft in in general is like a kind of upside draft. And you don't get many six foot four, six foot four corners that you can run four two. So no. I thought he's a good bet to go in kind of late first, early second, and maybe to a team who will need a corner down the line. But the Seahawks are kind of the team that he suits so much, you know, in terms of like the big corner, uh, you know, really athletic things like that. And he, you know, he does have yeah, like you say, he kind of alluded to it. He doesn't have like the greatest tape in the world, but for a kind of moldable ball of clay, I don't think you can get much better than this. You know, former wide receivers who's got the ball skills all the explosiveness in the world, all the length in the world, things like that. So, yeah, I just thought in the fifth round, how how can you not get this guy? Because, you know, if he kind of, you know, becomes even a halfway decent corner in terms of his technique, then his athleticism is just going to take him up another couple of levels anyway, especially because he's got the length as well. Because, you know, those unteachable things you just don't often get along outside of, like, being a good player as well. So, yeah, I, I just and I kind of alluded to it earlier when I was talking about you know Seattle's draft as a whole. You know, getting those two tackles, Kenneth Walker, Boy Maffey is a player I like as well. Kobe Bryant. So you've kind of got like a lot of good players in this draft, and it's just one that I really liked in total, and a, and a player that I just really latched onto as like a player with enormous upside, and like I say, just uh, landing in a real perfect spot there to play in this defense. Yeah, it was such a weird draft class because every pick, most of the picks were like high positional value. They weren't linebackers uh, until the running back. And then mm. all they were doing was picking athletes as well, like good athletes yeah. for the yeah. position. I think the relative athletic score that Woolen got was like 9.99 because like you said, uh, that 40 time is crazy. His vertical jump as well and his broad, they were just crazy as well. They were like 95th percentile. Um, so yeah, he's just a crazy athlete. If he says to me before the draft, where does Treat Willing go? I would have said Chiefs or Seahawks because they play so much press coverage, those two teams, yeah. compared to most teams in the league. Uh, and yes, he can't really rotate his hips that well, but um, I just think he's perfect for press because he's just so big. Like he's absolutely big. His arm length as well is crazy. So mm. uh, yeah, I think that would be a good pick for them. I saw Richard Sherman was uh, yeah he was on board, about, yeah he was buzzing about it. So uh, that's probably a good sign for 
for Seahawks fans. Um, next one I wanted to mention then, uh, I'll go down my list actually and talk about another team I thought had a good draft. So I thought the Falcons did relatively well. I was high on Ridder, obviously they got him quite late, but uh, Arnold Ebichetti out of Penn State was someone that I really liked. His pass rush win rates, very similar to him and Karloftis actually, the advanced metrics as someone who, who follows that sort of stuff were just incredible for these two guys because most of their, their wins against tackles were in actual pass sets. They weren't on screens. They weren't on RPO stuff that went wrong for bad teams and stuff. They were just pure, right, this is third and six and longer. Which are the best edge rushers in the class? And obviously Hutchinson and um, Thibodeau were the best two by far in pretty much most metrics. But Kyle Loftus and Ebiketti were third or fourth in nearly everything. Uh, so I just thought this was a great value pick, getting him as low as they did. And they haven't had a pass rusher for so long. I just think this was a perfect fit for them to go. And I'm, I was surprised he didn't go in the first round, just because the, it, you just hear a lot of talk, don't you, the the week of the draft. And he was a name that kept getting kind of mocked to fix 27 to 32. Um, and then his athleticism was so good, you were thinking, OK, could he sneak in? But to get him where they did, I thought it was a good value. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. I mean, I think he's a great player. Um, I, I, it kind of sounds a bit like... I don't rate him as highly when I say he was my edge seven, but that's just because it was a good edge class. Um, yeah. I think he's a, yeah, like you say, he's a really good fit in that defense. And, you know, at that value, like you say, I completely agree. Like, I could have seen him sneaking into the back end of the first and to get him at 38 is is good value. And, like, you know, you're just hoping that, like you mentioned, like Atlanta is the place where edge rushers go to die. So hopefully <laughs> it's not, like, going to be another one of those because, yeah, they had a good draft overall, like you say. Um, obviously, Drake London kind of raised your eyebrows at eight, but, you know, if you're buffing that out and getting the rest of their draft, draft class as they did, you know, they've got a lot of good players through there. So, yeah, no, it's one that I'm definitely on board with for sure. I think Epiketti actually went as uh, edge seven as well, didn't he, in the actual draft? And you oh, was he? All right. Yeah, yeah. I think yes, he went. Yeah, he did. He just had a few players like Cole Strange, etc., that went too early before him. But um, yeah, no, I think that was uh, that was good value. Um, speaking of edge rusher, then next guy on your list, Jermaine Johnson. Um, they traded back in to get him. I know there was loads of talk that they could draft him at ten. I put a bet on him to go at number four because that's how confident all these jet beat writers were. But they traded back in and get him at twenty six. Uh, I guess the league wasn't as high on him, but for the team like the Jets, if you are high on him and you still get him this late, I think it's a win, isn't it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, like it's just another one. I've, I've mentioned it a few times about a few teams. It's just another draft that I just thought was just superb from from almost from start to finish, really, in terms of the Jets. I mean, they didn't have a lot of picks, but they kind of, you know, were done after the fourth round. But I think, like, all but one of those picks, I think, is, is a good player and a player that I actually really liked. And Jermaine Johnson was definitely one of them. I think he was edge five for me in the end. I can't remember exactly, I think. But, yeah, he, he's a player I really like. You know, older prospects, but really, really high floor um, will just kind of pair up with Carl Lawson really well. And I think that they're just going to be, you know, a team on the up because he's a really, really good player. And like you say, to to kind of come back late in the first and get him uh, when, like you say, they could have taken him as early as the top 10, you know, four in, in your case, unfortunately, didn't come up and come and happen. But yeah, to come and get him you know, and round out that amazing first round that they had was just an absolute win. And like I say, I just get really excited if I was a Jets fan because this is a great draft overall. Yeah, they drafted a couple of 21-year-olds as well with their other picks. So I just think the fact he's 24 when the season starts, it kind of negates it a bit because the overall draft class is young, it's athletic, it's good, and you kind of see him as like a high-floor type of edge rusher, don't you? So I think that makes a lot of sense for a team, again, that probably hasn't had a very good pass rush in a, a long time as well because Lawson got injured last year, didn't he? So they didn't even yeah. get, get to yeah. see him on the field. But uh, yeah, that was a that was a good pick and probably a top-five draft class for me from the, uh, from the Jets. Um, right, I can't go the whole episode without talking about my team because... <laughs> I've tried to delay it as long as possible, but obviously I love the draft class. We try to nail it down to picks because everyone's talking about whole classes. 
Um, so I did nail it down to two. So Koloftis for me, who they got a pick 30 in the first round, uh, I liked. I did think we were going to trade up for Jermaine Johnson. I know I texted you saying that. I didn't mm. know when, when mm. that trade came in. Um, but I valued them very similar. I had Karloftis as one edge better, but their grade was basically the same. Uh, Karloftis is just 21 rather than 24. So I think that made a little bit of a difference to me. So I like the value there for someone who can rush the passer. Uh, and he's an actual defensive end. Like We call everyone edge nowadays, but he is a true defensive end who will... Um, hold the edge and be able to play against the run. He'll play three downs like he did at college uh, and his injury records are made. It's just exactly what a team like this needs. I know people think he's got a low ceiling, which is probably true because of his lack of bend, but uh, I think he's got a very high floor and uh, I think that's good for this team. But Sky Moore was the other one. Uh, pick 54, traded back with the Patriots, let them come up to get Tyreek Thorn- Tyreek Thornton, <laughs> which I found hilarious. Uh, and then you pick Sky Moore, who I think is the, the literal perfect fit for the offense. I know I probably would have preferred so I had Sky Moore above Pickens in my rankings, but I thought Pickens might suit us better, obviously, as an ex-receiver. But um, mm. you just can't beat the way Sky Moore gets off press. I think he had like a second fastest 10-yard split, didn't he, at the, uh, at the combine. So for me, I thought both of those picks were great. And the Chiefs did pretty well, especially with late picks. But if you have all these teams before you, you pick bad players, like we spoke about earlier, <laughs> it helps help some good players fall down the board. So I like both It certainly does. So let me ask you a couple of questions, obviously, as a, as a Chiefs fan there. Obviously, it was big for you guys to get um, some sort of edge rushing you know, prowess because obviously you don't really have a great deal off the edges because obviously Melvin Ingram's not there. Do you think that Carl Aftis is, first of all, like enough to kind of hang your hat on alongside like Chris Jones throughout the middle? Or do you feel like you guys still need something off the other side as well? Yeah, so I think it came out the day after the draft that we put a tender on Melvin Ingram. So Oh, yeah, this really weird tender. Yeah, you yeah, no, that, so yeah. no, no one uses it. And the uh, Chiefs and Ravens, I actually think, just from experience, that the Ravens used it and the Chiefs saw it and then used it afterwards. The, the Chiefs said they were going to use it all along, but I don't know if that's true. But, <laughs> um, so if we sign Melvin Ingram, then yes, I think it's enough. Because I think then again, we go edge next year in the draft again and just mm. go, yeah, go one more time. Uh, if we end up without Melvin Ingram, then I would say that we're still a low-level pass rush unit. Um, but how much I think of Frank Clark, which is not a lot for any fans who listen <laughs> yeah. to this podcast, no, uh, he'll be our edge one. So he, so Karloftis will start. Even if we sign Ingram, Karloftis will start. And Ingram will just come in on like second and 10 or any third down because that's the way we used him last year. As a mm-hmm. Chargers fan, you'll know. Yeah. Um, he's still got very good bursts, but he can't do it for eight, eight snaps in a row. Do you know what I mean? He's going to be able yeah, to do yeah. it for three. So... Um, is it enough to be a very good pass rush? I don't think so. But when we're as bad as we were last year, I think it's an improvement. Um, <laughs> and I actually think he'll be very good against the run. Which when Chris Jones moved yeah, to, true. when Chris Jones moved to, to defensive end, we were just awful against the run because he's a defensive tackle. Like he's he's not built to play and set the edge. He doesn't know how to do it. So teams are just running at him over and over again. So uh, I don't know. It's an improvement, and um, I like the fact that he's so young and he's perfect player for us because I just knew that Spags would love him because he's just absolutely massive. Can defend the run, never comes off the field, uh, and also he's not very bendy. For some reason, Spags doesn't like actual true <laughs> bendy edge rushers. Like I wanted Ebiketti originally, but I just knew we'd never pick him because I was like, like, no, his arms aren't long enough, he's not heavy enough, and he doesn't defend the run well enough. I just knew we'd pick Carlos, but yeah, if we get Ingram, I'll be happy. Uh, and there's now there's rumours today that we're linked to Keem Hicks as well from. They used to okay. play, for, play for the Bears. But, um, yeah, we'll see. I just think with Ingram, I think it is enough for, for, for one year. Um, and then next year, 
we'll see. I actually think next year we'll trade Chris Jones, but that's another... Uh, that's another podcast altogether, that, that sounds things. <laughs> that's another podcast altogether. But yeah, no, I think it'll be good. Um, I like him as a player, and apparently off the field, he's, he's very good. What are your thoughts on Sky Moore? Because obviously I, I've got the bias in me, whereas you haven't. You, you've probably got opposite <laughs> bias as a Chargers fan. Um, <laughs> Maybe, I'm trying to avoid it a little bit, which is why I'm trying to ask you questions rather than say what I want to say. But no, I mean, he's a good player, isn't he? I can't, can't dispute that. Um you know, I think if you kind of compare it, and let me ask you this really quickly, my second question before I kind of get into it, because it will kind of lead into what I'm going to say. Just yes or no, if you want, but is Skymore the Tyreek Hill replacement? Um, I don't think there is one. I think no. I think they're going to do his job with uh, a lot of players. What I will say is anyone who watched us last year, uh, after week five, we just couldn't get any downfield passing because the way teams are playing us and because, yes. to be honest, actually, Andy was too scared to call deep passes because the Bills have the same issues and Josh Allen was still throwing bombs. They were just throwing them further than the, the too high look could sit. Um, mm. Whereas Andy was going the opposite and saying, right, we'll just dink and don't. So I think if you watch us last year, he will do what Tyreek Hill did last year because Tyreek Hill was not the standard. He wasn't, he wasn't like nine-route sort of guy, was he? He was kind of like you say, get the ball in his hands and let him do his work sort of thing. Yeah, so I think people who just think Tyreek Hill is this speed demon and maybe I know there's some people in our group chat that just think he's one <laughs> trick pony. If you think that's true, then no, he's not. But if you watched us last year, I think he can do the things that Tyreek did last year, just not quite as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think See, we're, that... we're, we're replacing Tyreek with three players, aren't we? Because Juju will do the stuff in the middle when Tyreek used to get absolutely smashed. Sky Moore <laughs> will do everything because um, he can go down the field as well, to be fair. just uh, mm. He's just a good route runner down the field rather than speed. And then obviously Valdez Scanning is, I think he has the second most 30-yard uh, touchdowns in the NFL yes. in the last five yeah, years. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we'll do it all with three receivers. But, um, yeah, Sky Moore, I, I just hope the fans don't think he is going to be a direct replacement because that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? It is. It's a, it's a heap of pressure, yeah, but especially because like, Hill has literally become like a star in that yeah. offence. And, you know, whatever you think about him, he's, he's a good player. That's that's kind of led on to my point as what well, I was going to say with more really in, in terms of, you know, speaking in the vacuum, then yeah, it's a good pick and he's a good player and, you know, he's got all the skill set to be really successful. And, you know, I saw a quick interview with, with Andy Reid and he was talking about the Sky Moore pick saying like Patrick Mahomes rang him straight after him and was like really excited about the pick and things like that. But, yeah. you know, not in a vacuum, like look at the global picture that the chief wide receiver room is, is worse off without... Tyreek Kill and you know does this make up for it enough I don't know but you know I don't want to kind of make it seem like I'm being really like <laughs> chargerish to say no nah, it's rubbish and you know I'm really glad that he's gone there and you know he's not been replaced and things like that but yeah no it's a good pick and we'll kind of see I guess it's what I'm kind of trying to think with these two questions that I've asked you about these two picks is obviously the rest of the division is, is has got a lot better just overall and have the Chiefs kind of done enough to kind of remain ahead is, is kind of what I'm kind of getting at really. Yeah, well, well, I I think the, until September. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, I think the edge room is better, but that says more about last year's edge room. If Ingram signs, I think it's just better because it was so bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so bad last year um, that it couldn't have got much worse, to be honest. Um, but the, yeah, I agree with you. The wide receiver top total talent is going to be worse. That's obvious, isn't it? But uh, I think our wide receiver two through four though was so bad last year that is <laughs> that has that has improved this year like do you know what i mean hardman was basically wide receiver two with pringle wide receiver three and robinson whereas now you're going to have uh juju scantling or whoever you put as one i guess sky more juju scantling Hardman, whatever so i suppose the yeah. other aspect of it is as well is you know you've got travis kelsey so it kind of offsets a lot of this sort of stuff anyway doesn't it so you know he kind of makes up for a lot of it 
Yeah, he'll be an X receiver, won't he, rather than a true... Absolutely. Than, yeah, than, yeah than, than a true I mean, he's not end. been a tight end for quite a long time, really, has he? So. <laughs> no, no, he hasn't. And what I find interesting about the whole that last thing on it is uh, when teams double players, this is, goes for anyone as well, the same happened with um, Justin Jefferson when Thielen was out. Yes, they can still get their own. Tyreek Kill still got their own. But when you replace Tyreek Kill with three players, um, I think your ceiling of your offense goes down for sure. But I think you'll have less snaps where it's like, okay, there's no one to throw to. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, you know, yeah. if you replace his skill set with three people, you can't, you're not going to double three people. More people are going to be he's single. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. And, and Travis Kelsey's always been doubled. So he's just going to be used to it. So I just think, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, what was your opinion on Pickens versus Sky Moore? Whilst this leads into my next one, because Pickens was my next pick for a really good choice by the Steelers, which was two picks higher, but obviously the Chiefs traded out. So they could have had either of these players originally. Where did you rank those two sort of receivers and which one did you think fits which offense better? I, I mean, I was quite I was quite high on, on George Pickens in, in the end. I mean, I think that a lot of people kind of forgot about him because obviously he's been out all season. George yeah. have had like a really good season and no one's been kind of saying in the college or media, oh, you know, George would be much better off if it was George Pickens. Maybe they would have won a national title because they did win a national title <laughs> and it was all fine. Um, but you know he's still like tested really well. He still yeah. is a great player. He's got a lot of good tape and things like that. So I I was really high on George Pickens, and I'm one for level of competition quite a lot. So I had him above more, just you know not because just because he went to Western Michigan, but because he's just a really good player that kind of people forgot about. And you know recency bias came into it with players like Sky Moore and others. I'm not kind of pitting them one to one, but yeah no I I, I would I have Pickens in a vacuum as, as ranked higher. But at the end of the day, it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, right? It's where you're picking them for your offense. And, you know, if we were saying, I mean, I wouldn't be able to ask that question, has George Pickens replaced Tyreek Hill? Because that would have seemed absolutely bizarre. They're completely different players, whereas Skymore's kind of similar. Um, so, yeah, I guess you're kind of picking for your team and, you know, Skymore seems like the more logical fit. And conversely, um, Pickens seems like the better fit for the Steelers as well, who draft wide receivers really well and develop them really well. So really hopeful for George Pickens moving forward that he's going to have a really good career in, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, they're outside receivers when they play. Well, they could play Claypool in the slot a little bit like they did last year. Oh, yeah, yeah, big slot, yeah. When they line him up outside, if they're going to go um, Claypool and Pickens, that's two big guys for your QB yeah. to throw to. And the fast guys as well. And, you know, they can climb yeah. ladder and things like that. So, yeah, no, it's going to be good for them. And obviously they've got Johnson as well who can threaten down the field. So, yeah, they're going to be healthy at receiver, like in terms of their talent pool. Yeah, I think I had Pickens as wide receiver uh, three on my list, but very close to who I had in fourth. And then Sky Moore was number five. So I had Pickens above him as well. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, a lot of the uh, a lot of the um, talk around Pickens was harsh. There's a lot of off the field stuff, and it all seemed to be more. Yeah, you know, I mean, when you say off the field, everyone's like, "Oh no, who's he hitting? Who's he beating up? Like, what's he done illegally?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for him, it's just like people just say he's really immature, which I just think is an off the field issue. But if you've got the right culture. Then I Which think it's absolutely do right. Exactly. So it's fine. <laughs> I think, oh yeah, I think it's a perfect fit. Have you seen the video of him watching the draft though? It's hilarious. No, no, no. What's that? Uh, you need to watch it. He's got a ski mask on, watching himself get drafted, <laughs> and okay. he looks intense. He looks like ready to go. So, okay. uh, so yeah, I think he's going to be good. Um, oh, yeah, and he so tested bad. well. But uh, yeah, the Patriots thought we were both wrong though, and went Thornton above both of them. So there we go. Um, Next one for you then. Last one on your list then. Uh, two Giants picks. Why did you uh, love uh, both yeah, of these? Yeah, this is like, I mean, I know it's easy to, and I've seen obviously a PFF guy has been kind of 
slating the Jets about, you know, as well, if they're picking early, so they should be picking good players. But oh, yeah, as sure. we said, as we said with the with the Giants, not the Giants, sorry, with the Jags, you know, it's it's more difficult than it looks. Or teams make it look more difficult than it looks anyway. Yeah. You know, know, so to come away, I think, in the top ten with um Thibodeau and Evan Neal, I just thought was just absolutely slam dunks. I mean, I think, you know, picking what's it, five and seven, you're getting two potential number one picks. And, you know, as we've kind of said on this podcast and, and maybe before previously that, you know, some people mess up the number one pick and you're potentially getting two number ones here. So I thought that the Giants drafted tail off, uh, you know, after day one, I thought, oh, it's pretty... One Dale Robertson. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I just didn't, I wasn't in love with anything that they did really on day two or, you know, day three is kind of dark throws anyway. But, you know, I didn't love what they did after these two. But these two are absolute home runs, you know, potentially. So I, yeah, I just really liked what they did. And, you know, I had them after day one. I was like, yeah, the two New York teams are pretty much like two of my favourite drafts so far. But, you know, then it time tailed off, as I mentioned. But, you know, two of my two favourite players, premium positions for a team that needs them. So, you know, the arrow's pointing up on New York, even if the rest of the draft is like pretty bad or not bad but you know if it's kind of average and they kind of get something out of like Daniel Bellinger or whoever else so they could be fine but yeah no I just thought premium talent in the top 10 potentially getting two number one picks just thought fantastic work on day one yeah I didn't hate the Bellinger pick and that was probably the best pick after these two so I think that says a lot about day two and three yeah. these yeah. The, these two picks were just great so I had um Thibodeau as my edge one um, very close touches, to be honest, but I did care about the, the arm length a little bit more just between these two players. Because um, unlike Walker, Thibodeau is actually produced as well as a pass yeah, rusher. Yeah. And I had Evan Neal as my um, tackle one, so they got my edge one tackle one. Yes. Yeah, not in the number, what was it, number five and number seven, so outside the top four. So I just think that's just incredible value, isn't it? Yeah, when you, you know, you, like, I'm in exactly the same boat, edge one tackle one, and you're getting them, you know, um, edge three was, wasn't it? And it was tackle one, and eventually wasn't yeah. it? But, you know, like you say, at seven, if you get the first tackle off the board, something has gone wrong beforehand, and we've kind of dissected that a little bit. But yeah, like I say, just, just potentially two number one picks, and you're getting them both. So yeah, happy days for New York. Yeah, and it's a great process as well to not pick the tackle at five, because you know Carolina are going to pick QB, or they're going to pick tackle. But if you know that you're up in two picks and you've got two guys graded close together, which apparently they did have cross yeah. and, and Neil quite close together. You know, right, let's just take the edge rusher now so no one can trade up into six to pick Thibodeau and then we'll pick whichever tackle's left out of the two. I'd, it, yeah, if they were happy with both tackles, then yeah, absolutely, completely yeah. agree. And in the end, it worked out even more so because they had both their tackles on the board because the other guys picked Icky. So I just think it was a perfect draft. But uh, on a Giants note, just a quick one, do you think they trade Tony now? Because I just do not see the... I do not see how you can have an offense with both of those guys in it, um, especially with, I know Stern Shepard's a one-year thing, but again, another guy that isn't great outside, only going to play in the slot. Um, do you think the Wondale pick means Tony is going to go, like we heard a couple of weeks ago? I think so. And I mean, he was a player that I never liked last year anyway. I was really like anti-Tony. I think I had the third-round grade on him and, and things like that. So, yeah, I think, you know, their chickens have gone to roost as well because obviously he had this off-the-old um, you know, immaturity stuff kind of levelled at him last year and, kind of maybe didn't go to the most conducive place to kind of sort out the opposite of what we said about the Steelers and George Pickens maybe uh, last year, you know, a lot of kind of nonsense going on there in New York <laughs> last year. So, yeah. yeah, I think the writing's on the wall because, like, I mean, you kind of laughed at the pick a second ago, but maybe it was kind of the urgency was brought forward because they know that they're not going to have their first round pick from last year on the roster next, you know, in the next few months. Hey, if he wants to get traded to one hour ahead drive, then... Uh... 
I'm sure I can welcome Tony to uh, to the Chiefs. <laughs> That'd be fine. Um, cool. That's the, the least favourite favourite picks then. Uh, I want to do a surprising pick each now. Um, I've gone with Jameson Williams just because, I, A, I didn't think the Lions would trade up for a receiver um, at all, to be honest. And I guess even when they traded up, I didn't think it would be receiver, but I definitely didn't think it would be Jameson. Uh, and I just think, I know maybe long term that they're not ready and this pick's a bit early, but I think with the ACL... Um, you don't have to rush him. You're probably going to draft a quarterback next year. I know apparently they, they keep saying they love Goff, but um, they're probably going to take a QB next year. And it surprised me because I didn't think they had it in them to be so aggressive on offense as a team that's so defensively minded. If you look at the coaches staff, so many of them, even on the offensive side, are ex-defensive coaches from the Saints. Um, I was surprised they did such a big hit on offense that a team like, I would want my team to do this. So I thought this was a pretty surprising pick for, for the Lions. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Especially to trade up so much and then it's for a wide receiver as well. You're just thinking, you know, go and swing for your guy. I mean, go and get your guy. I mean, we, we've talked about and we obviously talk about a lot um, when we're talking about the draft positional value and, you know, pick value and things like that. But if you go and want a player and you think he's one of the best players on the board, then go and get him. And that respect to it, you know, if you're willing to go up there. Detroit need talent as well. So, and Jared Goff does throw for all these kind of warts and things like that. He does throw a good deep ball, and you know you'll yeah, be able to use you'll be able to use that speed. And I think the comment that you're talking about in terms of yeah, we really like Jared Goff is kind of political because it's linked to his contract because they pretty much have to pay him uh, play him because of what yeah. they're paying him this year, and then yeah, kind of you know see what they do after that, I guess. But yeah, no, it, it's a it's a good pick, and but it was a big surprise. It was kind of like oh wow, this big trade's happening where Detroit have kind of like gone up by what like twenty no sorry twelve spots in the end, and. You know, they can kind of go up and get their guy, I guess. So, yeah, no, but it, it could work out really nicely because he's a premier talent at wide receiver. Yeah, they moved up 20 picks as well. And It was third. 20, actually, wasn't it? I was right in the first time. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, they moved up like 20 picks in the third as well. And I was thinking, God, they didn't, they didn't have, the fact they didn't have to give up a future first for this trade, I was shocked. Um, yeah. I, I was like, damn it, I wanted to do this trade. If it was my team, I'd be loving Jameson <laughs> Williams for that value. It was good. Uh, which pick surprised you then, good or bad? So, my surprising pick is actually the other side of that trade, and he's Lewis Seen at, at 32. Because I don't know, I mean, it's one of those kind of ones where you look at it and you think, well, he's a good player. You know, we had him really high on our draft board. He was number 10 overall in our kind of composite kind of big board, which, you know, says a lot. And he was a player that I was wondering, you know, when is he going to go? He's going to go in the late first and things like that. Obviously, he was getting to like the last pick of the night, and you're thinking, oh, will it be? Especially because Dax Hill had the previous pick. But you know, again, we've talked about bad process kind of a lot on this podcast so far tonight, and I feel like this was another one because Minnesota, you know, if they wanted a safety, if they wanted to kind of help out the secondary, which was a definite, you know, positional need or, you know, thing that they need to kind of solve within the, the, the evening or the, the weekend as a whole. But, you know, you could have sat at 12 and taken Kyle Hamilton, who's a, just a, I won't say an infinitely better player, but he's definitely a better player, do you know what I mean? So yeah. this one was kind of surprising that they went for that position after that, doing that trade when they could have picked the best player at that position and a player that definitely would have suited their offense. And they've had a history of Notre Dame defensive backs and things like that. So they could have kind of got him, but they didn't. And they opted to just kind of, I don't know, it just kind of spoke to me and said, like, what is their kind of thinking behind this? Because they obviously wanted a safety, but they could have done it. I mean, like you said before as well, just when you ran off the pick that Detroit made, they didn't give up like a chest of picks to be able to do it yeah. either because you could you could have thought well they gave up you know a couple of firsts in the next couple of years to be able to do it and made that massive jump and you know the difference between Carl Hammond and Lewis Seen for that price is worth it but they didn't really justify it with the price they got either so yeah it's kind of surprising in that sense I would say 
yeah, I think I'd have been, actually liked it because um, I had seen as my safety too. Uh, I think I actually would have liked it if it, would, if it had a future first. I'd be like, that's perfect because next year, if you end up winning six games randomly, you've got two firsts now or three actually, maybe including the Rams, mm. um, to, to move up and get whichever quarterback you want. But when I saw the, the what it was and I was like, uh, oh no, sorry, it's the lines, yeah. Um, yeah, when I saw what it was, I was thinking, okay, I know um, the new GM, Mensa, is an analytical guy, but I was thinking, you haven't really got the value there that you no. should for that for no. that jump. Even though like, I'm the same as you, I do like the player. And they also gave Harrison Smith a, a new contract as well, just before the draft, and uh, he's there for a long time now. And I know, you, obviously, you want to play more than one safety, but uh, it was just a strange use of their resources when they've got other holes on the roster, I think. But, um, yeah, good trade for the Lions, bad for the, uh, <laughs> yeah. bad for the, bad for the Vikes. Uh, cool, let's flash forward then to 2023. Um, just talk about a couple of players. Uh, why don't you just give me a player that you absolutely love, wherever he is on your on your board or if you think he's going to be a top 10 pick like who's a player that you love that people who listen to this should go and watch when the college football season starts so I know that you mentioned at the beginning that you want to kind of talk about quarterbacks and things like that so I'll leave the offensive side of the ball to you and kind of what you want to kind of mention uh, about Detroit and things like that I'm a defensive kind of guy and I am dialed into this edge class again the edge class coming up is just fantastic and you know there's a couple of guys right at the top who are just going to just going to be there thereabouts right in the top five of this draft class Obviously, you know, we've, anyone who watches college football has been introduced to Will Anderson already from Alabama, the yeah, so outside good. linebacker. He's just like an absolute freak of nature. He probably would have been edge one in this class, and then he's going to go back, have another year, hopefully injury-free, hone his skills, you know, be right up there for a national championship again. So, yeah, he's my kind of one to watch. And if I can, just mention a couple more, if yeah. that's if that's okay. Um, yeah, for obviously, again, just kind of, you know, national championship winning um, another edge rusher, Nolan Smith from Georgia. Um, it was a bit of a surprise that he didn't come out this year um, because you know, just won the national championship, was a big player on that team, but his like, degrees, like mechanical engineering or something ridiculous. So it's kind of obvious that he was going to go back and he's obviously like a bit of a nerd. So in a good <laughs> way, oh, and there's nothing wrong with that. And um, yeah, so he's like, kind of going back for his senior season, probably coming out after this one. And then the final one that I'll mention again on the on the edge um, Miles Murphy from from Clemson plays a little bit up and down the defensive line. Um, and he'll be teaming up with uh, Brian Brisset if he's back from his injury. The interior defensive lineman, uh, Brian Brisset, who's who's an absolute star at Clemson. So yeah, you know you've got a lot of defensive prospects, especially in the front seven, to look out for in this draft. And I'd say go out and, and watch them all. And uh, yeah, this is where the draft's going to be is going to be at the defensive side of the ball again next year. Although there is a bit more offensive talent, especially at the quarterback position. Yeah, I'm uh, hoping to actually go next year as well because it's in Kansas City. So I'm, oh, yeah, uh, amazing. Then my plan is to try and go. But if we trade like a first-round pick for some edge <laughs> rusher or something, I might not go. But if we keep our first-round pick, I might make uh, the visit. But uh, no, they're good players. Will Anderson's been spoke about now as a potential. It depends who gets the number one pick, doesn't it, quarterback-wise. But yeah. uh, if it's a team that doesn't need a quarterback and they don't trade out, then Will Anderson's a name that everyone's going to hear, I think, similar to, to Kayvon Thibodeau. So you don't know what's going to happen in the draft process. But... He's a name I've just heard already that is just like locked in for like potential number one pick level, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He's he's that guy as well. You know, he plays at premium program. He's going to have a lot of success. He's already had you know insane production as well. Been the guy as a sophomore. So yeah, he's primed. Yeah, and Carter as well, defensive tackle from Georgia. Uh, a lot of people think he was actually the best player on their defense. Uh, mm. last year he didn't come out either so he's another one that's probably going to test really well and uh, I know defensive tackles don't necessarily have that level of positional value that everybody loves but Jordan Davis went at 13 so I could see Carter being a top 10 pick in this draft as well oh yeah I, I completely I completely agree he, he's he got like all the pass rush moves as well so you know like you say defensive tackles not like that 
glamorous position, but when they can rush from the interior, you know, the best player in the league's a pass rushing interior defensive lineman. So when you've got that in your arsenal, then you become a bit more popular, I would say. Well, Chris Jones. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> um, yeah, let's move to offense as well then. Uh, let's go receivers first. Um, a lot of people have been talking about the Ohio State receivers for the last couple of years. They've got another one. They've decided to uh, get on the production line, Jackson Smith and Nigba. Uh, going to be a top 10 player for me at the moment. Obviously, loads is going to change between now and then. But if I had to do a mock now, he, he would fall in there. Um, but Kayson Booty, or Boutet, I don't know how you pronounce it, from LSU. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of people, especially today, actually, I was reading a, a, an article today about him, how they think he could test even better than any of these other receivers. Uh, where are these two guys? Do you think these two could be top 10 level receivers? Are these, like, not saying they're as good, but are they, like, the Jamar Chase, Do- Devontae Smith, wide receiver one types? Or are they going to be more, like, uh, Drake London, might go first wide receiver, but he's probably a wide receiver too. Like, where do you fit on the, those two guys? I would say that Butte is is a wide receiver one for sure. I think he's in like kind of like Jamar Chase mold for sure. I'm not saying he's as good as Jamar Chase. You know that is that is really super rare. Um, yeah. You know, player who kind of goes that high and has that level of production from the minute one sort of thing. Obviously, Smith and Jigba is obviously a smaller guy, so he probably will be a, a wide receiver too at the next level. But he's going to have another insane season at Ohio State. You know, they've got a incredible quarterback in CJ Stroud who if he comes out next year he'll be a high pick as well and you know as you mentioned I mean Ohio State have had some guys obviously over the past couple of years you know Olave and Wilson have gone but they've just reloaded again they've got you know they've got a couple of five-star recruits behind them you know Marvin Harrison Jr is son of you know the Colts legend and then Julian Fleming as well so they'll have three guys and they'll be putting up insane numbers again between the three of them I reckon. God I love uh, Ohio State receivers their offense is fun very fun yeah. to watch. Um, so, Eric Gilbert as well, tight end, plays for Georgia. He actually went to LSU, I think, and then transferred right. to Georgia. Sat out last year due to personal reasons, and nobody nobody knows what they are. Um, but he has the chance to be a generational tight end prospect, for anyone who doesn't know. Um, I know there was one of the guys from um, ESPN, Lance Zerline, saying that he potentially could have a better draft profile than Kyle Pitts at the tight end position. Uh, have you seen much of him, and uh, how vital is his season going to be after the last two years of not playing very much? Well, the, to answer the kind of first part of that, it, in terms of how I see much of him, then the answer is no, because as you said, he kind of sat out last year and he's kind of yeah. had this weird transfer because he went to LSU, then he was going to go to Florida because he wanted to be close to home, and then he moved just as far away from home as he, he was at, at LSU to Georgia. So <laughs> it's kind of been a bit of a confusing process for him. Um, you know, in terms of athletically and on the field, when we have seen him, he's been very, very good. But yeah, this season is going to be big for him to not only prove on the field, but also off the field as well to prove that he is that guy. So he's still got some eligibility left as well for this season. So he doesn't need to come out. So if it's not quite as popping as it, it's, it could be, then he can still go back to Georgia and do it all over again and, um, you know, see where he kind of lies after his maybe season season if he does decide to do that. But yeah, no, he's a supremely talented young man. So yeah, one to watch for sure. Are they still going to have the same QB at Georgia? Um, they will not. So they will have, I can't remember the guy's name. Stetson Bennett, I think, is out of eligibility, so he won't be under centre, I don't think. Because um, I know they I won a national title, but every, every time I watched him play, it was, but it's just disgusting to watch him throw the ball. I thought he was terrible, but they won a, <laughs> they won a national title despite that. So that's Yeah, it's really, really strange, isn't it? That he was the guy. Yeah, it was. Yeah, but uh, it's a typical college football story as well, though, isn't it? Because uh, he'll be dining on he'll be dining on about that in Georgia for uh, for a long time. And never buy a drink again uh, if you. <laughs> yeah, no, true. Uh, let's end on QBs then. Obviously, got um, CJ Stroud. You got 
Bryce Young, and then I know Van Dyke from Miami is another QB that's been getting a lot of props. It was a fourth as well, but he's later down in the mocks. Um, where I know it's clearly a one-two at the moment, and, and Van Dyke would have to do a lot of rising. Uh, are you a CJ Stroud QB one guy as we speak, or are you Bryce Young? Because I know Bryce Young's size and height gets a, a lot of concern from people. Yeah, it does. I mean, but I feel like there's enough precedent recently with the size and weight and things like that that he you know could definitely still go in the top five i've been huge on bryce young ever since i've seen him play i think his sort of poise and his coolness under pressure i think it just sets him apart like his mental game is amazing it doesn't help oh sorry it doesn't hinder him that obviously his his actual throwing is fantastic as well and i know he's got the supporting casts around him but yeah no i just think he's an a plus kind of qb talent that's coming out Caesar Stroud is exactly the same. You know, they're both amazing. They're both, you know, BQB one in this previous draft by light years. Um, <laughs> you know, and both of these guys, you know, CJ Stroud's not huge either. Um, you know, in terms of his, his thickness, you know, he's quite he's much taller than Bryce Young by a couple of inches, maybe three. But you know, Bryce Young's still got a little bit of time to put on some weight as well. So um, yeah, there's no reason why both of these guys won't come out after another great season. Um, Van Dyke, whether he can kind of explode one year starter, because obviously he's not started fully at Miami, remains to be seen, but you know, there's a couple of there's a couple of senior quarterbacks as well that are half decent. Maybe won't trouble the first round, but you know it's a good QB class this coming up. Yeah, Will Levis is one for Kentucky as well. People talk about. Um, uh, I think did yeah, he get Levis, Penn State. Brent, is that Brent right? Armstrong. Um, sorry, is that again? Will Levis. He's the guy that transferred from Penn State. Is that right? From Penn State to Kentucky. Yeah, and he's he's kind of um, catching a few eyes there last season. And yeah, he's redshirt senior now, so obviously this is his last chance. But yeah, there's a couple there's a couple of seniors. Uh, Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, Brennan Armstrong from Virginia. You know, they're, they're all like last year of eligibility guys. So and you know they won't have the ceiling of the guys that we just talked about, of course. But you know they'll be solid. You know, day two quarterbacks for for a team, and they'll definitely go to the league and, and potentially be starters. Yeah, we can't forget my QB1, Spencer Rattler, who we spoke about before. Absolutely, yeah, sure. We, we, we can't forget him when he goes uh, pick 32 to, I don't know, Tampa Bay Buccaneers or something crazy. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, cool. Yeah, I actually read that. Um, I know ESPN is saying like six and a half quarterbacks in the first round. I was like, okay, that ain't going to happen. There's not going to be seven. It, seems like, it feels like a bit of an overreaction from this past <laughs> year, if I'm honest. Yeah, I agree. It's like day after the draft and that, that's coming out. I'm like, okay, you guys are just completely panicking about all the third, <laughs> round, third yeah. round QBs and you want to start the draft the draft hype early. But yeah, cool. Um, perfect. That's it for, for today's episode. Uh, thanks again, mate, for, for joining us. Did you want to shout out your Twitter handle and then uh, the full 10 yards one as well for anyone? Oh, that's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, thanks, for, thanks for having me on again. It's been a blast. So, yeah, I'm Lee Wakefield at Wakefield90 on Twitter for my personal uh, and then you can also find us at full 10 yards cfb as well with with our team and kind of having a bit of time off now for the draft and kind of get rolling again in a, in a month or so and uh enjoying like i say a little time off and um draft guides still available on the website if you kind of want to see where your team's picked and the kind of guys who you kind of kind of got now rather than being predictive but yeah still there on the website if you want to go over to full 10 yards.com and, and buy that nice and uh as a team as well, because I write for the the full NFL side, will uh, mm. there'll be a there'll be an actual season preview guide out towards the start of next season. That's Absolutely, one, that's one I think everyone should get because uh, there's some real good stuff in there, and Josh does a real good job at helping it look nice as well. So I think that's another one for for anyone listening. But, Definitely. Um, but yeah, go follow at Full Ten Yards as well. Go follow us at, at Go for Two Pod. Uh, me and Patrick will be back for one more episode before we take a couple of weeks off. Um, so enjoy the week, guys, and we'll speak to you soon. 